Uh, we'll continue the sermon series on the, you know, we've added supernatural to the great harvest. Because really the great harvest is supernatural. It's not something we can manufacture. The sooner you figure out you can't do it, the better off you are. The sooner we figure out that God's going to do this thing and he's going to use us, but he's going to do it in a supernatural way. So we're going to continue that study today. And who would be a better, I was, I was praying, asking the Lord what to, what to preach on, of course, and who, who would be a better example to be a, a great soul winner than Jesus Christ himself, right? I mean, that's why he came. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He, he came to find us. He came to find you. Say he came to find me. You know, Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, he said he wants us to go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to command all the things that he's, he's commanded us to do. He told us that was a Great Commission, right? That's what he told us to do. Everything he said and everything he left instructions for was about soul winning. Think about it. We talk about signs and wonders and miracles. The greatest wonder, the greatest miracle is what? Salvation. Say salvation. I mean, you can get somebody healed and they can still go to hell. Oh, yeah, let's pray for you got cancer. Yeah, but I don't know Jesus and you, you, you get healed of cancer and you die and go to hell. That's not a good deal. <laughs> I think that's a bad rap. But he came to seek and save that which was lost. And he came to bring, give us life and give us eternal life. That's why he came. That's why he went to the cross. And so his mandate to us was to bring as many people as we can with us. See, I want to take as many people as I can to heaven with me. You know the old saying, you can't, you can't pack up your stuff and put it in a, in a, in a U-Haul trailer and take it to heaven with you. But you can take something to heaven with you and you can say, you can take people. You can take souls because God's called us to be soul winners. He's called us to be soul winners. And we don't hear that much anymore because it's, it's like, it's uncomfortable when we start talking about witnessing. A lot of people don't like to talk about witnessing because it involves you. It involves me getting out of sometimes our own little comfort zone, right? So this morning, we're going we're to look at this tremendous example of Jesus Christ. But first, I want to give you two scriptures, Acts 1-4 and then Acts 1-8. Because when we think this is going to be us, and, and Jesus said it's not going to be you, it's going to be supernatural. He, he prefaced that before he ascended to heaven, after he was crucified and he came back, he prefaces that and he said, this is what's going to happen. He said, and being assembled together with him, he commanded them. Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And that promise is the capital P. That promise is the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard from me. And then in Acts 1.8, he said, this is how you're going to do it. He says, but you shall receive power. Say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, not, not inside you, but upon you. That's the power part. And you shall be witnesses. Say, you shall be witnesses to me. He said, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So today I want you to turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at the, one of, just one of the examples of Jesus and his soul winning and how he went about it. And I think we're going to glean some things that's going to help you as you leave this place today. Because at the end of this service, I'm going to bless you to, that God's going to send people to you. You don't, you're not going to have to go look for them. He's going to send people to you. Wouldn't that be cool if he just sent people to you that were lost? And you're like, oh man, what am I going to do now? Well, that's exactly what you're going to learn today, what you're supposed to do. So John 4, I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation, beginning in verse 1. It says, soon the news reached the Jewish religious leaders known as the Pharisees that Jesus was drawing greater crowds of followers coming to be baptized than John. He's talking about John the Baptist, okay? This is early in Jesus' ministry. Although Jesus didn't baptize, but he had his disciples baptize the people. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. 
And verse 4 is very important. And he had to pass through Samaritan territory. He had to pass through Samaritan territory. Now, did he have to? Yes, he had to. Why did he have to pass through Samaritan territory? Because he was compelled. Number one, it's compelled. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. He was compelled. You know, there's, when you're compelled, there's a force behind you that says you got to do this. And he had a force behind him that said you got to go through Samaria. And that force behind him was his father because Jesus only did what he saw the father do. So he didn't just haphazardly, you know, guys, it's a shorter route if we go through Samaria, which it was. But the idea of going through Samaria to the rest of the disciples, I'm sure they're behind him going, oh, does he know what he's doing? These people don't like us. They're Samaritans. They're half-breeds. They're, 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 man, they're really messed up in their religion. I don't know if we should follow him there. But he said, I have to go through Samaria. He was compelled to. Why would he go to, to walk through an area where he wasn't welcome and talk to a woman that he wasn't supposed to talk to, somebody of another race? Why would he feel comfortable doing that? Because he knew that the Father was going before him. And he told us, and he told, he just told the disciples, listen, I want you to go to Samaria. Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you're going to go to where? Samaria is one of the places. Well, Jesus, listen, that's just a pretty good example that he goes before us. He's already been to Samaria. He's already sown some seeds there. So he's got, he's setting us up. And I'm telling you what, he's setting you up. Say, I've been set up. Because he's got people that you're going to meet this week. He is setting you up for a witnessing. You're going to be so happy. You're going to, you're going to love it. Okay. Luke 19, 9 through 10. And I've already said this, but I'll say it again. It's the same thing when he was walking down the street and he looked up in a tree and he saw this little guy. What was his name? The Z guy, Z man. Yes. Zacchaeus. He looked up and he saw Zacchaeus in the tree, right? He said, what did he tell Zacchaeus to do? Get out of the tree. Come down. I want to go to your house today. Right? He had a plan. He was walking through a place and he saw somebody and he said, listen, Jesus doesn't miss anything. We miss things. Jesus didn't miss anything. And so he told Zacchaeus, we're going to go to your house. And this is what happened. Jesus said to him, this shows that today life has come to you and your household. The whole household believed Jesus that day. For you are a true son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. That's our mandate. Why? Because the son of man lives in us. He lives in us. He lives in me. And if he did it, I'm supposed to do it. Greater works. Remember the greater works? Listen, we think the greater works are healings and all signs and wonders. And that is awesome. But the greatest work is salvation. Again, the greatest work is salvation. The greatest miracle is salvation. So that's what we got to be about. That's got to be primary in our life, church. That's got to be first and foremost. He was compelled. He was compelled. He was compelled. Look at Acts 20, verse 22. Paul said this. And now I am being compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem without really knowing what will happen to me there. Second Corinthians 5, 14. The first part says, for the love of Christ compels us. I want to ask you this morning, what are you compelled to do for Jesus? What are you compelled to do for him? What's driving you to do what he wants you to do? Or are you being compelled by him? Are you just wandering through? Or are you just trying to make it through the day and trying not to mess up? Huh? Somebody? You're just trying to make it through the day, get a paycheck. And you're not paying any attention, no thought of what God is compelling you to do. And here's the thing. We're supposed to be compelled by this thing called L-O-V-E. He loved us so much. He died on the cross for us. And he says, I want you to love so much that you're willing to go where it's not comfortable to go. 
You see, some of you, you don't want to talk to somebody of a different color. You don't want to talk to somebody of a different culture. You don't want to talk to somebody that maybe makes a lot more money than you. You think, oh, no, they, they would never listen to me. I don't have anything in common with them. But God has called Jesus. He's told Jesus, I want you to go through this area where women aren't even supposed to look at you or talk to you in public. And you're sure not supposed to talk to them. Right? So get over yourself. Get over the idea that everything's supposed to be comfortable. People, listen, I hear this all the time. I want to go to a church where I'm comfortable. Oh, I just like it when he preaches sweet sermons. I just, I want, oh, that's just the wrong mindset. I don't want you to be comfortable. Some people are like, he's making us bow down. I don't know if I get that. Oh, kneel in church. I'm not even at an altar. They don't have the things to fold down. I don't know if I can do this. You know, I'm not comfortable. Listen, I don't want you to be comfortable. I don't think God wants us to be comfortable. He wants us to be committed. And we're committed when we're compelled. If we're going to be a witness, if we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and do what we're supposed to do, guys, we've got to get over ourselves and we've got to get out of our comfort zone. The second thing I want you to see this morning, verse 5. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sukkar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago, wearied by his long journey. He was fully man, fully God, but he's fully man, right? So he got tired. He got hungry. He got sleepy. So he's hungry. He was thirsty. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. He didn't even say please. <laughs> Give me a drink of water. And she's surprised. Can you imagine? Her surprise, first of all, she came that day in the afternoon because she didn't want to be around anybody else because of her, her reputation. So she picked a day, a time of day where there shouldn't be anybody there. And lo and behold, there's a guy sitting at the well that she needed to get water out of. And he said, hey, give me a drink of water. <laughs> I don't know the tone he used. Give me a drink of water. <laughs> I don't know, but he just said, give me a drink of water. She was surprised, of course. She said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? The second thing I think, many of us don't like this, and I, I'm in that camp, being confrontational. Number two is being confrontational. How many of you like to be con confrontational? Come on, raise your hands. I know there's some of you like, oh, yeah, bring them on. Bring them on. I want to tell them how it is. I back them into the corner. I don't care. I'll, they're going to listen to me. I'm not that guy. How many of you don't like confrontation? Yeah, that's what I thought. You're like, yeah, just make it smooth. Be at peace with everybody as much as you can. <laughs> that's scripture. But Jesus was confrontational. This very story, man, he was confrontational with her, but man, he was really confrontational with the Pharisees. And you're like, can you just imagine, hi, God, you brood of vipers, you snakes. <laughs> Your father's the devil. You're a liar. He's a liar. Man, you are mad. You messed up. That's confrontational. That's the Pharisees. Sometimes in witnessing and doing what God's called to do, we are called to confront. We just are. And we shouldn't be afraid to confront. Sharing Jesus, many times it's confrontational, isn't it? He wasn't supposed to speak to this woman. He spoke to her. He wasn't supposed to ask her to do anything, but he did. There was no love lost between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were, again, they were half-breeds. They were intermarried. And not just intermarried, but their religions were all mixed up. So Jews like, we got, we got it all together. Samaritans are crazy. You know, that's kind of the way they thought. We know where to worship. Y'all don't. Man, you bunch of pagans. That's not the kind of confrontation that Jesus declared to her, is it? So we can be confrontational and be ugly about it. 
But Jesus wasn't. Here's the thing about it. Jesus wasn't going to let any barrier come between himself and somebody else knowing the truth. See, that's the attitude we should have. We should have the attitude that I don't care. It looks like this is not a good thing, but I want to tell them the truth. They need to hear the truth because I love them and Jesus loves them. And I sure don't want them to go to hell. Man, if you need a motivation, that's a pretty good one. Burning forever. Would you think? We don't need a whole lot of motivation in that area. But what usually keeps us from sharing the gospel with somebody else? What usually keeps us? F-E-A-R. Fear of response. That's one of the things. Preconceived ideas. Oh, they won't listen to me. Culture. Race. Status. We can come up with every excuse in the world not to witness. Oh, they're too young. They're too old. I can't talk to him. Right? Come on. Can I get a witness? Any of you ever been afraid to witness? I mean, I have. I'm the pastor. They won't listen to me. I don't have a degree. And we think, do we think crazy thoughts like this? But we're going to learn what Jesus did and how he did it. What if, let's just think about Don Babin for once. And if I'll move around a lot, you'll think about Don. What if he said, okay, God, I know you've called me to go to the Maasai tribe, warriors in Kenya, and I'm just a Texas boy that's evaded jail much of my life. What could I possibly bring to these people? Aren't you glad Don didn't let a barrier like that keep him from going and seeing thousands of my side warriors come to Jesus? Aren't you glad? But see, we have that same mandate. You might not go to Kenya. You might go to Kansas. Kentucky. I'm trying to think of case. <laughs> You might go somewhere across the street. See, we're, some of us are like, I'll go to Kenya. I'll tell somebody about Jesus as long as I can get on the plane and get back to America. I have to live with them. But my neighbor, if I tell them about Jesus and then they see me and what I do in my house and the things that I throw out in my yard and the way I talk to everybody else, oh, uh, you know, I think I'll just go a few blocks away to witness. Because I don't want them to see my life reflecting somebody other than Jesus. Here's the thing, guys. We're always successful when we witness Jesus Christ. We're always. You have to leave the results to God. Verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give. Listen to this, how, it puts, how he puts this. If you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And the woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and this well is very deep. Excuse, excuse, right? So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? The third thing I want you to see is common ground. This is so important when we're witnessing, when we're, when we're confronting, when we're, uh, when we're com being compelled to, to confront somebody. It's very important that we understand that we can find some common ground with people many times because God will set it up. Say God sets it up. See, there's a common need here. There's a common ground. Jesus needed what? Water. He was what? Thirsty. What did she need? Water. What is, what kind of water did she really need? She needed spiritual water. 
See, there's a common ground. So Jesus, he's talking. Listen, he could have talked about anything, but she's at a well to get water. So let's see. What should I talk about to this woman? I think I'll talk to her about water. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have a common ground with people. God puts you together with somebody. And, man, you'll be talking to them in five seconds, ten minutes, whatever. All of a sudden, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that person. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I deal with that deal. I, yeah, we have this in common. And God will show you some commonalities, some common grounds, some common needs. And you'll find out, oh, I can talk to them. Matter of fact, I don't have to start out talking to them about Jesus. I can just talk to them about football. I can talk to them about sewing. I can talk to them about Pinterest, whatever you want to talk about not, not interesting <laughs> are y'all hearing me oh uh, you oh, I've got to be theological no you don't have to be theological you just got to love people that's all you got to love people find some common ground in second Corinthians 1 4 now this doesn't necessarily apply to self uh, a soul winning but it can I'm going to read this to you Paul says this he Jesus always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we say we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out on us. See, the same truth applies when we're, when we're witnessing to the lost. You know what you can start to tell them? If you want to tell them something really good, tell them what God has done for you. Tell them what God has delivered you from. Tell them what God has brought you through. Tell them what God's doing in your life right now. Because there's common ground there. They've got a need. I guarantee you that everybody you witnesses to, witness to, if they're lost, they need one thing. They need Jesus Christ. So you got some common ground because you already got Jesus Christ. Right? So man, if they need Jesus and you got Jesus, you got common ground. But God will set you up and He will show you other things that you can talk about and He'll weave it into the conversation. And then, man. God will use you in a powerful way. You can tell me, I, I, I've, I've been through that. I've been through separation. I know what separation's like. It's, man, it's tragic. I know what it's like to have to tell my kids, daddy's leaving or mama's leaving. I know what those situations are like. I know what it's like when, when, when everybody wants you to pay your, your bills, but you don't have anything to pay your bills. I mean, you're just trying to buy groceries. I, you, can, you can find some place where you can identify with people because everybody's going through something. Oh, yeah, I know what it's like to almost die. I can tell you what it's like to be in a hospital bed. I can tell you what it's like when they come and say, there is no hope. I can tell you, you have some place that you can identify with somebody this morning out there in the world because everybody's going through something. Everybody, Christians and, and lost alike, they're going through something. And God's calling you to, to find that place where you can pour into them and say, this is what Jesus did for me. Common ground. Tell them what God's done for you. Because he is waiting to pour out the gift of eternal life. Isn't that cool? you got saying, okay, Harold, I've got you set up. There's a guy that you're going to see on a park bench down here by the river. See, see, Jay and I was walking one day, and there's a guy down by the river, and he was crying. He was drinking a beer at 1030 in the morning. He was embarrassed that, you know, that we even walked by and saw him drinking and tried to make an excuse. But he had a pretty good excuse. His son had died in the river, drowned in the river seven years before, or 15 years before. The very place he would come to every year to mourn his son. And he believed in Jesus. I, I, made, I made sure. I mean, we, we could have just, we could have walked by, CJ. We could have just traveled on, couldn't we? 
We could have just said, hey, how you doing, bud? Yeah, we're good. We're talking about Jesus. Don't have time to talk to you about Jesus, but we got time for, we got time for each other, but not for you. But something compelled me to go and say, hey, man, how can we pray for you? Man, just the tear just, the tear just rolled down his cheek. We got to pray for him, encourage him, love on him. I don't know where he is. I sowed some seeds and, and maybe, I don't know what he did the rest of the day. I don't know. He might have just gotten blind drunk. I don't know. It's not my business. Is it? He's, he's, he's dealing with his stuff. But you don't know what people are dealing with all around you. You just don't know. You, they may look good. They may smell good. They may clean up pretty good. But you don't know what's going on in here. You don't know if their kids just try to commit suicide or they're thinking about it themselves. You don't know that unless God gives you a word of knowledge, which we're going to see how God does that really coolly. Really coolly. That's good. Very coolly. New word. T-shirt. John four thirteen. Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and, and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again. And we'll be forever satisfied. I like that kind of water. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit. Springing up and flooding you with endless life. The fourth thing I want you to see is comparison. Now we talk about comparison as the robber of joy. We're not talking about that kind of comparison. We're talking about how Jesus, again, kind of following up what I talked about on Common Ground, he, he would use whatever was available to him to minister to people. And in this case, he was using water, physical water, that he was comparing it to spiritual water that springs up. and just keep, You know, a spring, it just doesn't quit springing. It just keeps springing up. That's why he said it's forever water. It's forever living water. And I know we, we, we fill and we get refilled, but when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's an, it's, it's an infilling that keeps, keeps on bubbling. It keeps on giving, right? Just keeps on giving. So he's, he's talking about something. He's comparing physical water to spiritual water here. All through his ministry, he would walk and he would look at a farmer and he'd start talking about sowing seeds. Or he'd look at fishermen and he'd talk about be fishers of men. He is finding this common ground. He was talking and he would compare one thing to the other. And he would show them, listen, you've got this. Let me show you what I want to show you. And he would take these comparisons and make sense to them through his parables, through his stories. You can do the same thing. Find that place where you can share what God is doing in your life and what he can do for them. Amen. It's simple as is. It's as simple as, hey, man, how you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, how's everything in your life? Well, you know, I just, I'm struggling a bit. What are you struggling with? You know what everybody else is struggling with. You know, me and my wife, we're having a tough time. And it doesn't take long if you're sincere. You really care about them that they're going to start opening up. They're going to start opening up. Just simple questions that you need to learn how to ask. Remember the blind man? The blind man said, Jesus, son of David, here I am. You know, he's like waving at him. The guys, his disciples said, be quiet, be quiet. That's Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? See, there are people out there that they, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they want. And, and we need to be the ones that tell them, this is what you need. This is who you need. We've got to be in that place of being ready to show them and even comparing your life, your old life to your new life. Comparison is not always a bad thing, church. People need to know that there's more. They need to hear your story. I want to tell you this, nothing compares 
to knowing Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. And if we can keep that thought in our mind, that there's nothing that compares to the story that we've got to tell, the joy that we've got to share, the salvation that we offer through Christ, if we can get that in our hearts, we're going we're gonna to witness more and more and more. I don't know if you noticed it this morning, but we didn't have a baptism. When pastor ain't happy, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> We've had people accept Christ, but we, uh, you know, Ed, Ed Sutton, I text him always either Saturday or Sunday morning if I forget. We got any baptisms today? Uh, no pastor. I went up to Latonia and I said, have we got any kabooshes today? She went, kabooshes? I, you know what, kaboosh. She said, oh, no, no kabooshes. It makes a noise. You have to be back there to hear it. Kaboosh. No kabooshes. We should be baptizing every week because we're all out there doing what God's called us to do. Because there's a lot more lost people out there than there are saved people. Did y'all know that? Maybe that's a revelation to you. Really? <laughs> It's true. Verse 15, the woman replied, let me drink that water. Man, she's thinking physical water and he's talking spiritual. Okay. God, but Jesus is ready to put the zinger in on her. He said, let me drink. She said, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again. So I won't have to come back here and draw water. If I don't have to come back here and draw water, I don't have to listen to all the town people. Then I don't have to hear the whispers. I, I, and I man, that would be cool if you just give me some magic water. <laughs> I can just always have in my bucket. Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus, he's so non-confrontational. <laughs> Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. Oh, man, she's like, oh, seriously? But I'm not married, the woman answered. And Jesus said, that's true. He's acknowledging she's being honest. Okay? It's always cool to be honest with God. For you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. Which would suggest to me that he really wants us to be married if we're living with somebody. Just saying. You've told the truth. You've told the truth. Yeah. He's not your husband. And the woman said, she's pretty perceptive. You must be a, a prophet. You must be a prophet. Whew, you know me. You know my history. You know my five husbands. How did, how did you know that? That's called a word of knowledge. We're going to get into that a little bit. But I want you to see the fifth thing is chasing, chasing fulfillment. And I have to find C's. It has to start with a C or it's not a cool sermon. So everything starts with a C. Chasing fulfillment. When we talk about supernatural witnessing, we're seeing... Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, operating with a word of wisdom. Anybody ever had a, a word of knowledge? How many of you have ever had a word of knowledge about somebody else? Okay. Usually words of knowledge are not just, they're not necessarily for you, but they're words of wisdom. But words of knowledge are for you to share with somebody else as the Holy Spirit directs you to. Sometimes he says, this is a word of knowledge for you so you can pray for them. Don't go confront them. Just pray for them. Sometimes we think, oh, I got a word of knowledge. I can't wait to tell them. And it's not the timing. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You have to tune into him. You got to be on AM if he's on AM or FM if he's on FM. But don't be on FM if he's on AM and vice versa. But God's always going to be on FM because it's clearer. Right? 
And there's an interesting footnote in the Passion Translation. And I want to I share it because it just, it just jumped out at me. Concerning the five husbands and now the man she's living with but not married to. Here's what it says. In a sense, every one of us has been married to our five husbands. Our five senses. What are our five senses? Sight, smell, touch, taste, and hearing. That's our five senses. He's talking about our flesh. We've been married to our flesh. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You've been living for you. Not Jesus. You've been living for yourself. So he says, five senses speaks. And then the sixth man speaks of our fallen humanity. For six is the number of man who was created on the sixth day. Right? So he goes on to say in the footnote, our heart can never be satisfied with what is on this earth. We must have the living water that comes from heaven. Christ is the seventh husband. She's about to meet her seventh husband. You see what I'm saying? Okay, follow me now. This is good. This is good. I didn't write it. This is really good. Christ is the seventh husband, the only one who satisfies. Christ is the real husband. Paul, speaking of this church that he started in Corinth, he wrote this to them in 2 Corinthians 11 too. He said, you need to know that God's passion is burning inside of me. He's talking about himself for you. He's talking about for the church. Because like a loving father, I have pledged your hand in marriage to Christ, your true bridegroom. I've also promised that I would present his fiance to him as a pure virgin bride. Isn't that beautiful? See, we're the bride. Say, I'm a bride. And Jesus Christ is the groom. So we're the bride of Christ. I know that sounds really weird to men. But it also sounds weird to women when we say you're sons of God. It's okay, though. Because he says there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. So we can, we can assume that role that we are the bride of Christ. He says, I want to present the bride of Christ like a pure virgin. I want to, I want to present the bride. I want you to know that you're married to Jesus Christ. You see... At one time or another, we've all chased something or someone in our life. And we thought when we chased it and we caught it, we would be fulfilled in our life. Yes. We chased if we, we thought if we got that job, now I'll be happy. If I marry that girl, oh, my life is going to be so awesome. Or if I get that guy or I get this raise or I get this, if I get this diploma, we always are chasing after things of the earth and we think they're going to fulfill our life, yet they won't. All those things come as a result, listen, after we seek and chase after God first. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. You don't seek and chase after those things and then get Jesus. And so he's 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 identifying, lady, you have gone after men all your life and you thought men were the answer. Matter of fact, after the first one and you thought he was good, he didn't turn out to be so good. The second one beat you. The third one to uh, divorce you. The fourth one committed adultery. The, I, man, I don't know what they did. I don't know what she did. But it was five. Five. That's a lot of that's a lot of marriages. That's a lot of weddings. That's a lot of counseling. That's a lot of cake. A lot of punch. It's just too much. Five, man. Wouldn't you learn after two or three or four? <laughs> I met a guy not too long ago who's been married eight times. About to get married to the ninth. God bless him. <laughs> wow. Gee. What are you chasing after this morning? Christian. 
You know, one of my prayers recently has been, because there's a lot of marriages that are kind of rocky right now. And I've been praying for that husband and for that wife. If they would return to their first love. Not each other, but Jesus. Because it always, it always goes back there. It always goes back there. Because it, it never fails when I'm counseling. Where did this start? Well, they, we quit reading the word together. We quit going to church. We quit praying together. We, we quit anything spiritual. We quit. That's a word for you this morning. It's a word for you this morning. They, all of a sudden, other things got more important. That they, We chase after this. Well, we got to do this with our kids. We got to go to this place. We got to buy this thing. We got to, 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 we got to. Everything, but we got to get in touch with Jesus. And then they go, I don't know, Pastor, what happened. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. It takes about five minutes to figure it out. Pray. We're going to have a marriage conference with Hector and Ana Soto in April. Called Just Us. You can go ahead and put it in your calendar. It's, I think it's the 13th and 12th and 13th of April. It's already scheduled. But you don't have to wait till then to get things right. Return to your first love. Second Timothy two twenty two. Mary this two two two. Pretty good verse. In the Passion Translation. Paul writing to his his spiritual son says, Run as fast as you can from the ambitions and lust of youth, and chase after all that is pure. Chase after all that is pure. And listen, he goes, Whatever builds up your faith and deepens your love must become your holy pursuit. I like that. What's your, what's your pursuit this morning? Is it even holy at all? What's your holy pursuit? And he says, and live in peace with all those who worship our Lord Jesus with your hearts. What are you chasing after today? What are you pursuing? That's tied to your witness. The way you witness will be reflected by what you're chasing after. The way you witness will be, it's going to be reflected by what you're chasing after. If you're chasing after Jesus, you're going to be chasing after people that come to know Jesus. But if you're chasing after the world, you don't have time for them because you're too busy chasing after the world. Verse 20. So tell me this. <laughs> I love this shift here. Why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby man? He just told her you've got five. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with isn't even your husband. And she goes to this. <laughs> So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain? But your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right. Jesus responded. He's kind and gracious. Believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the father on the mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. They, they didn't know because they were so confused and had such a mixed bag of religion. Just a big old potpourri, a smorgasbord, a buffet of religion. They didn't know who they were worshiping, why they were worshiping. They just know, hey, we're supposed to do some worship. You know, people come to church and do that. I think we're just supposed to worship. You know what they're worshiping and who they're worshiping. He said, Jesus said, it's about your heart. 
Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. He's not bragging. He's just saying, I'm Jewish and I'm the way to salvation. Okay? That's how it comes. If you don't like Jewish people, you're in trouble. Because Jesus was Jewish. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. Number six is changing the subject. Have you ever witnessed somebody in the man? They're, they're like a hot potato. You said you just mentioned the word Jesus and they want to start talking about anything but Jesus. They want to change the subject. And that's what this woman wanted to do. She wanted to steer the conversation away from her husbands and her exes. All my exes live in Samaria. <laughs> she wanted to steer him away from that. Let's talk about let's talk about worship, right? You got to be ready for that. You got to be ready to steer them back to the heart. Because you will hear every argument that comes up. And you may, you just may, especially if you're like really smart, you may want to argue them into heaven, but that doesn't work. You may want to debate them into heaven, but that usually doesn't work. You're not, y'all following me? Jesus was more interested in winning a soul than winning an argument. That should be us. We should be more interested in winning a soul than winning an argument. Don't debate somebody and think that they're going to, oh, wow, you're smarter than me. I think I'll pray to receive Christ. It doesn't usually work that way. They need to hear about the heart. When they ask me, if they were, hey, if they were to ask about worship, hey, man, worship is like 24-7 for me. I got the T-shirt to prove it. <laughs> hey. 24-7 Jesus. And those are good conversation starters, too. Wear the crazy Jesus T-shirt. But when you're wearing it, be aware that you're wearing a Jesus T-shirt. Oh, I forgot I wore the worn shirt. I forgot I have a Bud Light shirt at home. It's much. I got your attention. I know. I'm losing some of you there. Bud Light? Oh. He said Bud Light in church. Steer them back to the heart. Because that's where they're hurting. Steer them away from religion. Because that's what's got them in trouble. Religion will get you in trouble. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Rules and regulations. All that stuff. Legalism. That'll get you in trouble. Steer them toward grace. Steer them toward love. Ask them some questions. Share your testimony. Verse 25. Almost done. Hey, we're going to get out here enough time to go eat real food instead of pizza and come back and fix the wall. Unless they're just a massive pouring out at invitation time. That would be awesome too. Verse 25. The woman said, has she been honest again? She said, this is also confusing. And you're talking about living water and I want to get water to my water my camels, whatever. 
You know, you're talking about worship. I, this is confusing, but I do know. Listen to what she did know. But I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true, true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. He said, I am the one you're looking for. Woo! See, that's the fun part of witnessing. When you get them to that place, you confronted them. You've been compelled by love. And, and man, you've, you've shown them your life. And you've shown them your story. And all of a sudden, you get to share. They say, okay, man, what do I need to do? Because I'm going to tell you something. Just like she said, I know that there's one coming. I know about the anointed one. Most people, and I'm not saying everybody, but most people out here in America, in Texas, in West Texas, in the Bible Belt, know something about Jesus. They've heard something about Jesus. They watched him on, they've, they've watched somebody on TV talk about Jesus or their neighbor talks about Jesus or they got a, a cross in their yard or they got a Psalm 91 one sign in their yard or they got a bumper sticker on their car. No, you can't get away from him. He's all around us. And they already know something about him, but they need to see somebody that represents him. They need to see somebody that cares about him. They, they need to some, see somebody that operates the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. They just need to see somebody that'll love them. For who they are, not what they can do for you. That seventh one is confirmation. I love it. I love confirmation because it's that moment when you had the clarity and the light bulb went boom. Oh, he's the anointed one. He can save me. I can give him all my stuff. I can do, I can, I can unburden all the sin, all the junk of my life. I, he's going to take it from me. He took it on the cross. He died for me, and I'm, I trust him to be my Lord and Savior. And, and because I've done that, I'm, I get to live in eternity with him. Yes, it's confirmation. How many of you remember that moment when the clarity came? You didn't know it that at the time. You didn't know and understand. But all of a sudden, much as you could understand, because of the Spirit of God, you understood. All of a sudden, you had clarity, and you believed. You trusted, and you clinged to. You gave him your life. You said, Lord, I have made a mess of this. Can you fix it? He said, yeah, I already did at the cross 2,000 years ago. Come on board. Die to yourself. Live for me. I got you covered. It's confirmation. She had confirmation that day. She knew that a Messiah was coming. She knew he would be special. But did she, had a full un did she have a full understanding of Christ at that moment? Not at all. Do we have a full understanding of Christ? Not at all. We just, we, we got about that much because he's so huge. He's so massive. He's so incredibly magnificent. We don't get it all, but we don't have to get it all. We just need to get him, enough of him, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus confirmed and affirmed that he was the one that she was looking for and he was standing right in front of her. Woo! Amen. See, you're going to get to do that when you lead somebody to Jesus. You're going to get to see that. They're going to go, what? Uh, yeah. Woo! You mean if I just speak, if I just confess, if I just repent? Yes! If I just believe, yes! It's not complicated. Confirmation. Finally, verse 27. Whew. At that moment, the disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman. I would just love to have heard some of their other conversations, Melinda. You know, we just get glimpses of them. Uh, along the way when they talk about Jesus. But can you just imagine? Oh, man. I knew we shouldn't have left him alone. You just can't trust Jesus. He's talking to a woman. She's not even a Jew. Oh, what are we going to do with Jesus? I'm serious. They, they were, they were kind of, they were just human. 
You know? You know, after he fed 5,000, which was actually 10 to 15,000, we don't know for sure. Then he went to, he was going to feed 4,000 and they go, well, we're going to get food. <laughs> they already forgot. They're always trying to protect Jesus. Just like when the, the blind man was calling out to Jesus, they leave him alone. Or the little kids wanted to come to Jesus. He said, leave the, get them kids away from him. It's Jesus. Only he just created them, but get them away from him. And he said, hey, 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 bring the kids to me. See? They didn't have an understanding of him. This woman didn't have an understanding. We don't have necessarily a, a picture-perfect understanding of Jesus. We just know he loves us. We just know he died for us. We, we just know he wants to give us eternal life, that he has so many things for us, man, that we can't. he wants us to experience everything he has for us. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. You ask him. No, you ask him, Thomas. Peter, no, he, he might call, he might say, I'm Satan, you know, I don't know. <laughs> he did one time, said, get behind me, Satan. He just imagine the way they jockeyed around for positions. No, could you ask him? I love verse 28. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told Everyone. Come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. How excited could she be? Hey, come come meet this guy. He just told me I have five husbands and that I'm living with. I'm not married to. Come and meet him. Really? Come come and meet this man that he knows all my sins. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. She, I mean, she was convincing, wasn't she? He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. And hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. Number eight, and the final one is, change priorities take place in his presence. Our priorities change when we come to his presence. Or they should. Change priorities in his presence. The very thing that she came to get... The very thing that was so important to her to come at the middle of the day when it was hot and when she wouldn't be, you know, everybody gossiping about it. The very thing that she needed to get that day and get back home with to the man that she wasn't married to was what? Water. Say water. And the very thing that she needed to put the water in was a water jar. And when she encountered Jesus, the jar was not so important anymore. Dunk. Ah, I don't need water. You need to hear what I've just heard. See, she was thinking the natural water was the most important thing, but she was finding out that the spiritual water was much more important. See, we go after so many things that we think are important, and God said, no, 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 no. I will supply that. But you need me first. The woman who was too embarrassed to come to the well when everyone else was there suddenly had a boldness to tell everybody the good news. I'm going to ask you a question. This is a really tricky question. Did she have perfect theology? Oh, really? Was she trained to witness? Huh? Okay. Did she really have a good testimony to go back and witness to her village? No. I'm talking about her personally. I know what you're saying. You're right. That too. It's good. Yes and no, we're good. Like that video earlier, A and B. 
She had a good witness now, but her life to go back to the village thinking anybody would listen to her was probably not very good, not very valid. Oh, that's that lady again. Oh, what does she want to say today? She got another husband. Oh, we're going to have another wedding. Number six. Okay, organize. Let's go. I don't know, but there's something different about her because she was in the presence of God. See, we should be different if we're in his presence and we're in his presence because we carry his presence. I know we're broken vessels. We're just clay pots, but we carry his presence. We are, there's treasure in this jar of clay. Amen. Say there's treasure in my jar. Amen. It reminds me of when Peter and John were walking by the gate. Beautiful. This is after they'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there was a man there saying, alms, alms, give me, I need money. You know, he'd been crippled from birth. And, and Peter and John, Peter, they just looked at him and said, man, we don't have any money. We don't have any gold. We don't have any silver. Here's what we do have. We have Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Pick up your mat. Let's walk. And they got arrested for that. See, there may be a day come when you're witnessing Jesus to somebody and you get arrested for it. Are you ready for that? Could happen. I just almost fell over, yeah. Look at Acts 4.13. We'll finish up. The council members were astonished. This is talking about Peter and John as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, but especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. I want you to hear that this morning. You don't have to have religious training to be a bold witness for God. You just don't. You just have to love him. You got to love people. You got to love your enemies. You got to love everybody. No exceptions. I know we like to pick and choose who we love. Oh, I don't. I, I love them. I just don't like them. That's a pretty bad way to witness. I want to witness to you. I love you. I just don't like you. So I don't want to tell you about Jesus or not. No. We're called to love everybody. No exceptions. No religious training. Then they began to understand the effect that Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Man, your priorities will change when you spend time with Jesus Christ. Won't they? Coming to the presence of Jesus will do that to a person. All of a sudden, our priorities change. The things we thought were important aren't so important anymore. The things we used to do, we don't really want to do them anymore. The way we used to talk, we don't want to talk that way anymore. Our priorities change, or they should, when we come into the presence of God. Everything changes when we come to His presence. Man, I've experienced His presence today. I don't know about you, I've experienced His presence. I'm not going to leave here the same as ways I came in. We are carriers of His presence. Remember that. When Jesus compels you to share the good news. Remember that. We're carriers of His presence. Would you stand? We have our ministry team come. Take your places. Jeff, if you'd come. First and foremost, it's always a priority. 
if you don't know, if you don't really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your day. This is your moment. This is your time. Today is the day of, of salvation. He said, harden not your heart. Don't harden your heart today. I, my uncle, who's 84, was preaching the gospel up until about three or four years ago. Pretty much lost all of his eyesight, except he, he, wrote, he wrote out his sermons, then he wrote them out this big. I'm not exaggerating. Like five, six words to a sheet of paper would write his sermons out. He told me one time, he said, Harold, this is way back when I was young. He's the one that uh, I got saved under his ministry. We got, I baptized Mary Lou and I got married. He married us. He told me one time, he said, Harold, that's a dangerous thing for somebody to keep coming to church and rejecting Jesus Christ. It's dangerous. So because what they're doing is hardening their heart. That's why the word says don't harden your heart. Because once you, once you get, the, get the invitation given to you, and one more time you go, eh-eh, nah, don't need him, don't need him. And you walk out the doors, and you come next week, and yeah, I don't need him. You do that over and over and over. Sometimes you just get calloused. Your heart gets calloused. You don't even hear the word anymore. You don't hear the message. But the Father, the Father draws us. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit woos us, and Jesus accepts us. So this morning, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, do what you do. Draw them. Draw them. Holy Spirit, do what you do. Convict them. Show them that Jesus Christ is the only way and that all their sins can be forgiven. All their sins. Because I know, Jesus, you're just waiting to receive them. Come into their heart through your spirit. That's what you're ready to do. And maybe you're one of those people that, Pastor, man, you hit the nail on the head. I've been coming here, and I've been rejecting that very salvation you're talking about. Just today, but the word got through. Holy Spirit got through. If that's you this morning. You've been hardening your heart today. I just speak right now that God would give you a heart of flesh where there's been a heart of stone. Heart of flesh where there's a heart of stone right now. And that you would simply say, I need Jesus Christ. And he's going to meet you right now at the point of your greatest need. If that's you, I want to ask you to step out and come. I want to ask you to do something very bold. I want to ask you to step out and come. Step out and come. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is your day. Don't wait another minute. Don't, ma don't wait another second. Thank you, Lord. Just step out and come. He wants to save you today because he loved you so incredibly much. Step out and come. Maybe you faked it a long time and people think you're a Christian, but man, in the heart of hearts, you can't say that. Man, if, that day, if, the, if you were to call me at home today, Pastor, I'm not sure where I would spend eternity. Man, if you're not sure, make sure. If you're not sure, make sure. Step out and come. We want to pray for you. If, if you're not certain, and maybe you've got some questions, we want to pray for you. These people up here, they're gifted. They're gifted to pray for you. Step out and come. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even this morning, maybe God's exposed all the stuff in your life. Jesus exposed everything in her life that was bad so he could bring him, her to a place of repentance and knowing Jesus Christ. And she's one of the greatest witnesses that ever, she's one of the first witnesses ever to go and tell her whole village. And we'll, we'll see that probably next week, what happened to the whole village. 
when one person is willing to be a witness. One person. Step out and come. We want to pray for you this morning. Come on. Step out and come. We want to pray for you. Don't be embarrassed. Please don't be embarrassed. And that woman could have been so embarrassed. He said, I don't want to hear any more from you, Jesus. This is the way I'm living my life. Just please leave me alone. I'm going to chase after what I think is going to fulfill me. She didn't do that. She said, come and see a man who knows everything about me. And he loves me. He knows everything about you and me, and he still loves us. Isn't that incredible? Anybody else? Come on. We want to pray for you. Step out and come. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit's doing doing what he's supposed to do. Step out and come. We will take you and we'll take you in a private prayer room and we'll pray with you. Step out and come. Thank you, Lord. It's a little breakthrough there. That's good, huh? Come on. Step out and come. We want to pray for you. Just for your salvation. It says, when one sinner repents, all heaven, man, it just breaks loose with a big party, Mike. <laughs> it's going to be a party. Party going on right now. Come on. We're going to wait just a little bit longer. If you're saved this morning, if you're saved, I want to say this about you. God's going to set you up this week. Would you receive that? Greg said, man, I accept that. He's going to put somebody in there. You're going to jump in the front seat of your pickup. Now they're going to come to your door. They might be coming to reconnect your cable. How many of you know you can pray for people that install cable? Man, they need prayer. Instead of getting mad at them because things aren't working, why don't you pray for them? Pray for that guy that's got to come fix your faucet. You know how many times Mary Lou and I have had the opportunity to pray with people? They came to us. They came to us. We had a guy digging a ditch in our backyard for a new sewer line a few years ago. And we have Christian music and we have an outdoor speaker. And I, I had some Chris Tomlin music playing. And he was going, he's out in the backyard and he was digging a ditch and he could hear that music and he just dropped down on his knees and started crying. Asked the Lord to save him. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. He came and told us. It's not complicated. But he's calling us to be witnesses. That's not my mandate. It's his. Don't get mad at somebody about doing that thing. You talk to him. It's not, it's not me. But I'm excited for what he's going to do in your life and lead the people he's going to lead to you. I'm, I'm just asking that to lead them to us. Man, I've asked him this morning. I was, in, I, was, I was getting ready and I was by the fireplace and, and I said, Lord, just send somebody to me. I want to witness to somebody. I, I, I get to do it to hundreds on a weekly basis. I want to do it out in the public. I want to do it with somebody at a restaurant. I want to do it at Walmart. <laughs> H-E-B more for me. <laughs> Are you willing to do that? If he sends them to you, see... That, that kind of takes a burden off of us. So the, the woman at the well came to Jesus. Okay? If you need prayer for anything else, anything else, we want to pray for you this morning. So I don't want to leave anybody else. Maybe it's to rededicate your life, recommit your life. Maybe it's to for marriages this morning. 
that you'll return to your first love. Because right now, you're miserable. You're miserable in your marriage because you let Christ, you, you, you kicked him to the curb. You kicked him to the curb. We want to pray for you this morning. Come on. I want to pray for you this morning. Come on. Basil, would you grab hold of Eric? Pam, would y'all help him? I love it, Eric. Man, he, when, I, when we say we won't pray for anything, Eric says, I'm up there. He's still believing that he's going to get totally restored in his eyesight. And I think we're all in agreement. Woo, isn't that going to be fun? Anybody else need prayer? We have people that can pray for you in the back, all around this building. We believe in the power of prayer. They just might have a word of knowledge for you this morning. It'll blow your socks off. I'm telling you, if you got a word of knowledge for somebody, you better press into that one. You better press into that one. 